The Daily Dose is produced by Authentic You in collaboration with North Coast HIV and related programs, also known as North Coast HARP. It's jointly funded by North Coast HARP and the New South Wales Ministry of Health. And I'm Mandy Nolan. And you're listening to The Daily Dose. The Daily Dose is a podcast about the life stories of people who inject drugs. We'll be discussing substance use, addiction, self-harm, trauma and other topics that may not be appropriate for certain listeners. We encourage all of you to be in a safe space when listening to this podcast. Today we are at the Needle Syringe Program, the NSP office. It's a clinic tucked away behind the hospital. Actually, it's next to a COVID clinic. So while it's discreet, the COVID clinic is quite busy. Yeah, it is a very discreet service. It's just an office with two small rooms where usually two people work. Around the side, away from view, is the vending machine where people who inject drugs can access clean equipment 24 hours a day. It's a beautiful sunny day and we're set up in one of the rooms at the NSP to chat to chat to some people who use the service and find out their story. It's very small and quite cramped. It's, it's not the ideal place to record, but we've done some tricky improvising and made a desk for our microphones out of the boxes of syringes. <laughs> we sure have. Hey, in our first episode, we talked a lot about stigma, but we didn't really drill down on what stigma is and how it might harm people who inject drugs. Stigma isn't something that you can see, so how can it impact on people? There are a lot of different perspectives on stigma, so we thought we should speak to someone who researches and publishes on this very subject. Dr Carla Trelaw is Director of the Centre for Social Research in Health at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Stigma is a really complex social process, and I'll, I'll talk about some of the ways in which it affects people and our communities in a moment, but... It's really a process of um, identifying uh, differences, labelling those differences as negatives and separating and distancing people usually with those differences from the rest of us. So it's a, a process that results in exclusion or distancing um, of people with a, a real or a perceived difference. And that difference is a negative thing that the society thinks thinks of. So people who use drugs are very often cast as, as uh, people with that negative difference and, and a, that identity of injecting drugs um, attracts stigma. Stigma is multi-leveled. So, you know, often people think about stigma in terms of an interaction with someone, you know, they... They reacted very negatively when I disclosed something or they told me I wasn't welcome here and so on. So that's definitely part of it, that one-to-one exchange. But there are other ways that we see stigma appearing and affecting individual services and communities. And another way is the internalising, the self-stigma that um, people see about them, the messages about them in, in the world. So through those one-to-one interactions, the way that people who inject drugs are spoken about in the media or in politics, 
those kind of messages can become internalised and incorporated into people's sense of self-worth and identity and they may see, start to see themselves as less worthy of, than other people of good service or good care. So today we chat with Marco. He's nervous. He's a really personable guy, chatty and friendly and really open. You know, he could be someone that you might meet at the garage when you get your car serviced. He's very much your regular Aussie bloke. Drugs have been a big part of his life for quite some time. Um, all right. Well, I'm, my name's Marco, as you know. Um, 34 years old. Um, yeah, in my life I grew up um, northern beaches in Sydney um, and sort of, I guess, pretty normal sort of childhood. Um, uh, for me... Uh, uh, drugs have been a big part of my life and I started quite young in my drug use. Um, but, um, how yeah. old How old were you, Marco? Uh, 13. And what was the first kind of that got you sort of, was it? Yeah, I first, my first thing that I really got into was, was weed, um, which is a weird thing now because it's a really different thing in my life now. But at that age, um, it was really and just the way I used it, me and my friends at the time, it was uh, quite a destructive sort of. It wasn't a good way of using it, I'd say. Yeah. So it was real, yeah. How, um, how were you using it? Just like smoking really heavily or something? Just smoking, just smoking bongs, and um, just um, it seemed the type of weed, just a real sort of potent hydro, and just I think the, looking back, I I think the main thing must have been the age. I think why it's so different now. Like I've many years. Had at least over ten years of not touching any cannabis, which I found quite common with some people that used a lot of cannabis when they were younger, um, and then they stopped. But um, but yeah, for like ten years I didn't, and and now it's actually been really beneficial for me. I've actually got um a script for cannabis oil at the moment, so you can do it legally, which is good. Um, yeah. So where did but, that go with your um? When did you get into? I, I guess you know into sort of injecting drugs? Was that mm. sort of later on or, or yeah. how, how did you sort of find your way there? That was later on. Uh, it was sort of in my mid-20s. I started um, smoking heroin actually. Um, I did that for a number of years because I was very petrified of overdosing actually. <laughs> I'd seen so many um, ODs and I'd, I'd been there and I'd be the only one actually um, – trying to save the person's life. So I don't know, there's a there's a big uh, real lack of understanding around overdoses and uh, just people die unneedingly. Um, I think in those situations, they happen a lot. So I was really scared, but I guess it wasn't till I was with someone that I was sort of comfortable with that, you know, I thought they wouldn't leave me and <laughs> if something happened and then I was straight on to it. Um, yeah. Can you just go, um, just... I suppose take a step back. Um, so you were saying you started to mix with people who were um, injecting. Um, how did mm. you, you, so you went from weed, you're smoking weed, and yeah. then how did you then sort of find that crowd or, you know, how did you how did you get introduced? Um, I actually had a number of years sort of out of the drug scene. I mean, I tried to stop. Since I was 16, I tried to limit my use of drugs. It, uh, you know, not really effectively for, for quite a while. But um, how did I? I just um, it was more. It was more just sometimes. Sometimes for me, it was just that 
that one friend. I had it started off with just one friend, and then um, I didn't hang out with lots of people that injected and or anything. This was just a, one guy that, and I was very curious. I wanted to try heroin for a long time, and I wanted to smoke it, and um, that sort of thing. And and so that was my connection there because it's it's definitely a sort of counterculture. You just, um, you know, I I'm. I'm probably one of the few people that can um, really tell you that it's not about the needle in terms of opiates. Like I was very well addicted to smoking heroin. I had a very big problem. Um, in fact, even more so, and I met a couple of people that say this, but the smoking of the heroin, I think um, there was something I read in National Geographic not that long ago as well, but just about the nature of the addiction on the brain, but just taking that many hits, you know, off the foil, smoking it um it's actually very addictive like smoking can be mm. and um so i had a real problem there and um i've noticed i don't know if it's statistically but i've noticed a lot of people well especially around you know in the sydney where it's really quite strong there and they, they might smoke for a couple months and then pretty quickly they're on to injecting um yeah for me it was a longer period so i've just I've noticed a lot of people really relate it to the needle. They think, oh, that's when everything, but, you know, like, like I said, I smoked heroin for about four years um, and I really had a, a serious problem with the addiction wise. It was, yeah, it was very addictive. How did it make you feel? What, what was, so when you were smoking the heroin? Um, it's like, for me, it's, it's really just, it's like a medication really. I think I don't know. I I think the movies and stuff like that have really blown things out of proportion. It's pretty. It's it's really quite a boring drug in some ways. It's sort of um, but um, it it does sort of um, yeah, nullify anything really going on in your life or in your mind or you know uh, any feelings or anything like that. It's pretty good. At One of the other people we spoke to said they described it like it was a hug. Yeah, 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 it can be. I mean, yeah, I guess so. So, so for you, Marco, because um, we're talking a lot about stigma and and how that impacts on people, do you feel that you have to be, you know, who are the people that you're open with about your drug use? Um, and um, are you still, I mean, I should ask, are you still an active um, injecting drug user? Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I am actually, yeah, I've, I've recently uh, I've been on methadone for the last little while, which has helped a lot. But probably saved my life, I'd say. But I haven't managed to completely pull pull back yet, uh, which I want to do for my at the moment. Like at this stage in my life, I really do want to do it. Not not really any other reason except um, for my health, physical health, and that. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So can you be open and honest with your friends and family or with your with your GP and stuff? Yeah, like to a, to a degree. I mean, I don't – I've always had quite a open and honest relationship with my parents or – I mean, if I – yeah, if I've never been able to lie to them anyway, put it that way. And, yeah, so – but, you know, I don't tell them everything, but – um. We, I got a good GP at the moment, which I'm 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 honest with, which has um, really helped me because I got that um, what do they call it, the confidentiality with with him. So I'm able to be quite honest with him, and um, it help helps me a lot. 
The confidentiality is super important. Everyone should have that with their doctor. Dr. Carla talks more about why stigma is so important to be aware of if you work in the health sector. This is a, a stigma is a difficult thing to talk with health workers about because no one wants to think that they're doing the wrong thing. And lots of people are not doing the wrong thing. But the reality of stigma in the lives of people who use drugs is palpable. And as I said, comes from lots of different places in our society. And that's carried into future interactions as people being, um, first of all, fearful of going at all, uh, then having made the decision to go and turn up to be brave and say, right, I can do this, you know, get together all their, their stealing themselves and getting together their courage of walking through a door where they don't know, they can't expect the same care that a person who doesn't inject drugs might just take for granted. Feeling themselves walking through the door, a health worker who smiles at them and says, pleased to see you today, what can we do for you? That is such a powerful thing, but um, just that small moment of recognising that stigma is pretty pervasive in the lives of lots of people who inject drugs will manifest in lots of different ways. But it is the job of the health service to deal with it because health services should be there to, um, to help the community, everyone in the community, look after their health and take, take those positive steps that, they, that people want to take to look after their health. And this is such an important thing because the literature across the world, from every country, from every health condition, all of it says stigma is a barrier to accessing care to taking up treatment, to remaining on treatment. It, it should be a core competency in the toolkit for health workers, no matter what community they're dealing with, that, that stigma comes across in so many different ways, and not just about health conditions, the intersections of that with race and class, and for particular groups like women who inject drugs can be doubly or triply stigmatised if they're a parent also. This should be part of the core competencies we help health workers to develop is how to understand the impact of stigma on, on the potential impact of stigma on their clients' lives and how um, their service and the policies and procedures within it in the ways that everyone in the service engages with their clients could help to, you know, encourage people to come through the door and, and, um, and work with the clients to make those positive steps in health that they're there to do. That's why they've turned up. Marco, is how having a doctor that's able to really listen to you in that really confidential setting can help someone, particularly when you're actually wanting to make changes in your life. Mm. So what has he done for you or she? Sorry. Well, like just recently, I mean, I, um, uh, I've had um, blood tests um, and then uh, I've actually... Yeah, yeah, I've had blood tests and then um, some levels weren't that good with my liver, so they done an ultrasound and so I'm just waiting for some results, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it just, it helps because I know, I guess I know that I'm not going to, like if I'm using something I shouldn't be like, um, then I know that there's not, like I can be completely honest and then, you know, um, you know, I can show him the 
my arms or something if I've done some damage or I think I've got maybe an abscess or something's wrong yeah. there. And, and, yeah, and, you know, I think that's really important because um, – but but that has not been the case. I mean, that's why I really wanted to hang on. I really like this doctor because um, it's been – it's very hit and miss. Like, yeah. That, I was actually just about to ask you, I mean, it does um, – you're able to recognise a good relationship. Does that come from you having – been through one or several, um, as you said, hit and miss. Mm. So what is what is a um, a miss? What's what's yeah, a miss? Well, yeah, what does a miss look like? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, yeah. Um, a, mi- a miss for me is um, like through my using occasionally. It happens occasionally. I, I end up like in emergency because I've done something silly. Like I don't know, I, I hit an artery once, and and I was in a lot of pain and um, things like that. It's it it's just really like it from my experience has been that it's either this in the in the medical profession there's some people that are like they're open minded and they're not there to judge and they're just there to to help and then I but on the other side is I get I feel I get really judged and um um definitely um not treated. The same. What, is, what does that look did. like? What, is, what does that judgment look like for you? So how when mm. you, you used to say if some people aren't and some people are, could you got any specific examples? Yeah, like I might halfway through, I might be, you know, I might be explaining something and then it's just a sideways comment of, oh, well, you know, that's what happens if you inject, you know, you know, this, you know, if you do that or that. And it's just like, it just seems like it's a lot of, um, and they seem to focus a lot on, on judging me or something rather than just helping me out and yeah um but it's it's very noticeable it's uh, i mean it makes me not like sometimes even want to go like um last time i probably should have gone to the the hospital i just decided not i couldn't deal with the um you know who i was going to get at the at the thing you know Dr. Carla knows all about this and she's translated the user experience into what she calls the killer stats. So we've been monitoring the experience of stigma over a couple of years and people who inject drugs report really high levels of the experience of stigma compared to some of the other groups that we've also been working with. So recently our surveys have shown that 80% 80% of people have ex- who inject drugs have been have experienced stigma in the last 12 months and 70% of people who inject drugs have been treated negatively in the last 12 months in a health service. And I think we would find that last one in particular, 70% of people have been treated negatively in a health service, going against everything that we want to do of encouraging people who need care and help and, and support with their health to come in and have that positive experience. And I I think that's something that should really drive and focus our efforts in um, bettering service because in the end, stigma is a cost for all of us and the person living with the attributes that stigmatise the people who care for them and society in a bigger sense. So that 70% treated negatively by a health worker in the last 12 months is something that... um, keeps me up at night and gets me out of bed every morning to try and keep talking about this and making change. Um, really, really just like I imagine if I went in because I, 
you know, broken my arm like I used to as a kid, you know, skateboarding or something. Just just going in there and and you're not treated any other way. It's just like, oh, you know, you, you're someone that is in need of healthcare and, and that's it, really. It's nothing special. I don't want anything special. I just don't want the um, judgment or, you know, and, and, and then a real feeling. Like, I mean, I've heard lots of horror stories, but, you know, you know, of, of people not getting the, the adequate care because they're, yeah, um, because of the, I don't know, I don't know, the judgment, you know, um, some uh, health, yeah, doctors not doing everything they can, I guess, I don't know, things like that. But, have yeah. you, just wondering, so through this uh, period, have you ever had hep C? No, I got really lucky actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because because um, mm. um, a lot of people who who get that have, have, don't show up for treatment when there is a curable mm. treatment there now because it's changed. So I was just curious about that. Mm-hmm. Have you been have you been working? I mean, you say your family is aware. Have you lost mm. relationships through this? And um, mm. oh, with well, well, yeah. and on the other side to that is, do you have sort of key support people who've just stuck with you and are really kind of non judgmental who've, um, who've stayed with you? Yeah, yeah, like, um, oh, look, it's without a doubt it's it's affected my family, uh, my relationship to my whole family. Like I'm I'm someone I grew up with. Um, I've got five brothers, five half-brothers and no sisters, just <laughs> all brothers. Um, and, you know, I grew up with three of them um, and it, it does, it affects, it, it there's a, there's a big divide there, I, I think, and I think it, for me it seems like it's directly sort of related to the IV drug use sort of thing. But at the same, you know, because my brothers weren't sort of into that and we grew up sort of, yeah, with different, you know, views on, you know, like a lot of people, like it's just a bit of a, I don't know, it's very taboo or something. Yeah. But... um. And but um, they're still, I know they're still like loving and they still care about me and all that sort of thing. But as a divide, and the other thing is, they also have kids, which is I understand. Like it's, I wouldn't want, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a bit, you know. Mm. So you think that um, it's interesting because, in a sense, you're saying, oh, I wouldn't want to present myself to their kids. Is that what you're feeling in that? Well, in some situations, yeah, because I can be quite unmanageable and, you know, if I'm, I mean, I'm sometimes affected by drugs quite heavily. When when I, when before I got on methadone and before I started to stabilise sort of thing, uh, it, was a, it was, you know, there's times when I could be, um, yeah, around them and stuff like that and not the, in not the best sort of way and, you know, I don't want to leave needles or something like that. I mean, it's never happened, but, you know. Work is how many people get stability in their life and build connections and a sense of meaning and purpose. Just because you use drugs doesn't mean you can't maintain a job. Sometimes the path back to work is the part of a considered approach to treatment and managing addiction. I've spent a lot of time uh, on Centrelink. Uh, I'm a motor mechanic by trade. That's my background, but... Um, I me- mental health's a part of my story as well, which I think is definitely yeah part of my story. And I find that w- with a lot of users, um, 
So I, I've struggled to hold down jobs, but um, inactive addiction, like without methadone, methadone and that, I, no, there's no chance. I remember going for this one job in it. I was trying to, and I really genuinely want to do that. Um, they were going to give me three days a week back working um, on the cars and I literally lasted one day because, uh, you know, like I, mm. because I, I got all the drug, you know, because you've got to stay well when it comes to opiates. It's not, it's not really about getting high. It's about just being Staying able to stay manageable, well. Manageable, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I used them all, you know, that day. So, um, and then I didn't have enough money to, so I was sick the next day and I had to just, yeah, I couldn't turn up to work. I had to go get money and do all that. It's a very, it's a um, 24-hour sort of job. Yeah, running running a habit. Yeah, is that something that you'd like that you're working towards now with um, recovery that you're looking towards? Yeah. What would you like to see for the future, Marco? Well, I think my my um, goal that I'd really uh, for the for the near future would be to to get a few days work. Um, sort of re- regularly, you know, maybe because it's been quite a while. So I think you know, three days a week or something, I'd be really happy with uh, just just working again and just the 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 esteem that comes with like doing something, you know, yeah, um, during the day and something. You, you'd be happy to go back to being a motor mechanic, yeah, yeah, do you, yeah. I'd like to do a bit of mechanical again, yeah, for sure. Do you sort of tinker and do you have a car and do you sort of tinker around? I do with have those a car sort of things at yeah. the moment, yeah, but. I don't um it's sort of a thing, I don't know, not not all mechanics are like that, but a lot of mechanics just they're not that interested in working on their own car. You know. <laughs> Some are like You could work on mine any day, that's fine. Yeah. So that's cool. But, yeah. So tell me too, Marco, one of the things we're looking at is, you know, um this is the we're here today at the NSP, which is the Needle and Syringe program. Yeah. Is how have those guys played a a role in in in, in your kind mm. of your life? Have they provided you know is that mm. a positive experience for you? Yeah, aging. It's a it's a very positive experience, it, it, and all around like in Byron and, and Sydney Sydney where I've lived before, I, and I think definitely a big part of that. Uh, I've not received any judgment at, at an NSP, which it, it just helps a lot. You just come in there and you just just a normal person. It might not be such a normal thing that I'm I'm doing, but they un- understand and and I'm, I don't have to navigate, you know, through any sort of um, yeah judgments or anything like that. So it's it's always been a good experience That's and a very helpful one because. <laughs> How did you find yourself getting to the NSP? I mean, um, I just found out through I think my f- the first people I started using with actually showing me where they were and stuff like that um, and also through the methadone um, and opiate treatment clinic um, one of the ones I was going to in Sydney had, had the um, the needle syringe program there as well in the building one of the most visible and continuous points of contact in the health system for most people who inject drugs is the pharmacy Recording this podcast, we heard a range of stories from those who had really positive stories to others where people felt exposed and shamed. The pharmacy is a great place to measure how stigma plays out in the daily lives of a person who uses drugs. 
Duran is a worker at the NSP. So every every so often we go and, um, you know, um, go into an ED department or a pharmacy and ask for a feedback just to see what sort of response and how we're treated. And it's varied across the board. Some people are so lovely and do it very discreetly and are quiet. Other people sort of shout out, oh, where do we keep the fit packs? And and really sort of make it known that, you know, it's not, not, not a nice thing to ask for. I've been to pharmacies where they don't even want to take people in on a methadone program because they believe they're going to be, you know, people are going to pilfer stuff yeah. while they're waiting to be dosed. And, and all this sort of old sort of thinking sort of blurs their their thought their their work around drug use and that and they don't really need it. They you know they can make money doing just cashing normal scripts for normal people and don't get any of that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? And often, you know, it's you know, and it has been said that people have been sort of hanging out and wanted to get their their methadone and and are a bit impatient at times. And I'm sure that, that is the case, but um and maybe they just don't want that. I was just going to ask because before we were talking about um, Marco sort of being on the methadone program mm. and we've been talking to some people about their experience of, of having to go into pharmacies. Um, what is it? Into what, sorry? Into pharmacies or chemists. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how is it for you when you have to sort of get your dose? Do you, do you feel um, stigmatised at all? Do you feel are you treated in a way that's confidential or do you sometimes? Yeah. Are you, is it discreet? I mean, it, it is done quite discreetly where I where I am at the moment. The good thing is, I mean, I, I've found a good chemist now, so I'm very happy there and, and the people there, I don't feel judgment and they're, they're cool, but I, I've had, um, you know, I've been to multiple chemists before because I've been on and off maintenance programs, um, you know, um, the past 10 years or so, yeah. So what, what, have, what have been some of the negative experiences that you've you've had? Um, basically, how would I put it? Um, some of the negative sort of stuff is um, definitely like you know, even if you're in line, you, you're left until the last person is there. Um, like people, you just get served before you. Um, I've had. It's just, it's a sort of a hard thing to, to pinpoint, but it's like, um, it's just like a, a way you are treated, you know. I've been, I've been flat out accused of not paying, you know, <laughs> like to the point where it was like, you know, they're just telling me I'm lying when I was in there the day before and I paid the, and then, and then, but this was only one particular person, so I can't, but, you know, they, they, blamed me for that and then they find out that they on the computer that it wasn't and yeah so um so, yeah so yeah it was um that sort of thing so you had paid and it just yeah, was yeah, in there and they could look it up it but there's out, a yeah. sense that yeah um, yeah the, some the, people really yeah like you're, you're instantly this, sort of a thief or something yeah, like the that. assumption is the food that you're basically you are a thief, is an or a, or a liar mm. is the is the initial sort of mm. commentary, and then it then it's you have to then prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah and sure. I, I imagine to stay on the program to um, Marco, having it be easy without judgment, having a good pharmacy or a chemist mm. to go to, probably goes a long way in keeping you on the program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, b- without a doubt. I mean. Yeah, I've had really troubling, difficult experiences at, at some places. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, and some systems and um, with dosing and stuff like that, and you you, you prescribed amount and how much control you have. I mean, you go I, when I first got in there, I, you know, you go in there feeling like you're gonna have some control over your your dose, and then then you start to realise that you sort of don't. Mm. Like, and maybe you do somewhere. I don't know. You, like, look at the fine print, but yeah, have doctors telling, oh. No, you can't come off now, and this and that, and realizing, like, I'm, it's a, a fear of being out of control. Like, like you've gone onto this really addictive substance, and then it's very complex. Yeah. It's, it's how, how have you, um, you know, because I've had a lot of friends that have that have been on high doses and then wanted a program to step down. Mm. Um, how, how have you gone onto that? Have you mm. sort of tried to negotiate that step down program? Yeah. So that that's probably. One of the biggest things that um, on the program that's help, that figuring out has helped me a lot is that um, the, the maintenance drugs you can always come off them. It's just they've got to be stepped like down because yeah. of the way they are the long acting sort of substances and and um, but you need some support with that. The, the best I had was an MTAR program at um, residential rehab. So I, I did I did that once and I I didn't complete it and then I came in the second time and I completed that program and and got off that the maintenance in and yeah. Do you feel and like you need that support? I think doing yeah. that coming off the that, yeah you need some sort of support. Do you feel like sorry um Marco that because before you're talking and I think it's a case for a lot of people who use drugs that there's also mental health kind of stuff that you're dealing with it well as well. Mm, Do you feel like that sure. the system, um, and often people talk about going from one system saying, no, you're drug and alcohol, no, you're mental health. And mm. Do you feel like you've had that the system addresses your particular, you know, kind mm. of needs in the way no, you'd like it to? I, I really don't actually. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lack there. I mean, this, just an example I can give you is that um. Uh, as I said, I've been without a job for some years. Um, uh, on the the job keeper, I mean the the job um, seeker, seeker um, which is just sort of the doll or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, um, they uh, you can have a medical certificate for whatever um, for a range of reasons, um, up to three months. So it could be a few days or three months, and that and that basically takes you out of your you still get paid, but you're out of your mutual ob obligations, which means you don't have to look for work or whatever during that time. But um, in recently, in the last year or so, they've stopped accepting certificates for drug and alcohol reasons. Like there's, as in they don't, like there's like, um, yeah. Uh, so when you get a Centrelink medical certificate form from your doctor, um, if it's drug or alcohol related, it's not accepted. Wow, we, so, which is a real issue. It's a major, in my yeah. yeah. So they're saying it's like, they, they, it's no longer a medical problem. Yeah, well, the, exactly. So they're, they're saying well, yeah, they again, saying it's that. another judgment. It's uh, somehow um, the medical system doesn't need to support you. Um, yeah. It's so how does that left you then? So you well, with, was, with your yeah. mutual obligations. So how, where does that leave you? 
Well, luckily I've got other problems, so, <laughs> so I'm also have affected anxiety due to that. So I can put an anxiety or something down, which is what I've had to do. So it's interesting. So you've got this um, um, anxiety, yeah. underlying anxiety, and yet yeah. they do they remove you or take the put these obstructions in, which all all they can effectively do is um, exacerbate the anxiety. So it's not oh, they're yeah. not seeing that the the mental and the um, and the the physical sort of the the drug and alcohol or whatever it's the all, drug it's side. All linked. it's all linked. Well, it's all linked. So, but they yeah. but it's been splintered and, and separated. Well, yeah, and I wonder what uh, I'm just curious on what um how, how they came to that conclusion to take to take that off. I think maybe well as we know there's a there's this huge issue with drug and alcohol, but it's like that's that's the point I'm trying to get yeah the stigma around it. It's like um. It's like it's like a health issue that you've got to sort of um, what's it called when you're um you've got to defend yourself about you know it's like yeah because they're they're kind of basically going well you it feels like they're going well you choose this yes exactly and that, that, exactly uh, yeah and, and I, as someone who's an active addiction that must feel cruel yeah because I'm not I think it's more more complicated than that because you don't choose. I certainly haven't chose the, the horror and the addiction and all the struggles, you know. I mean, I might have had that first one, but, you know, it's the same as someone who, who's had their first drink. That's completely legal, but a certain percentage will become alcoholic and they'll drink till they die because they've got a health issue. Well, it's so, all fine. So it's all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine till it's over 0.05 and then suddenly <laughs> you're the worst person on it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's oh, a, yeah. we, we have these lines, but it seems to be with person who chooses to inject drugs, there, there is no line. It's immediate. It's an immediate yeah. kind of stigmatisation. Yeah. yeah. And a form of being punished too, isn't it? Oh, that's By what it system. feels like. Yeah. And the sort of maybe they can, because it's, yeah, they can use that as a, so do you, I mean, you, is that how you've seen it? Do you think that, that um, the, you choosing to in, inject is, is a health, do you see it as a health issue for yourself? I see addiction as a, as a health issue. Um, yeah, I think it all sort of goes together. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't really separate them, but that, I guess that's me because that's what I'm, my addiction involves it. And IV also, use. it seems like you've got you've created a plan for yourself. Of you know, or, you're, or you said you're working towards this is what your goal is. This is where you want to get there. But it's not like it's going to happen. Yeah, no, but, that's right. And it's definitely happening. Sometimes a lot slower than what I'd like. But you know, I just just got to look back sometimes, and and that's when it's good when you have support as well, and you look back and um, see that you know. And just over twelve months ago, I was in real, a real, real trouble there, and um, I could easily have died any day. And and the the program for me has been um, really good this time around. Marco is such a great example of a person in active addiction who wants something different. We're sitting here hearing this story, and suddenly we're aware of how close Marco came to not making it. But here he is, 12 months later, volunteering to share his story. It's a brave and generous act. Can I just ask, so you're saying when you've got support, it sounds like you feel like you have it at the moment. So what, mm. what's aligned? Where, where are the, so if you needed to go, I need 
three three parties or two parties. These are the things that I need as support mm. where you now feel like there's possibility there. Which are the three sort of services or or people that you've got in place that you mm. you feel like you're supported to go forward? Because it's not just a singular person. It's like a, a group of things lining definitely, up. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so what are they? Well, I mean, on a physical level, you can see something like the NSP is very helpful. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's clean equipment. That's a lot less damage you do to yourself with that, the, the clean equipment and stuff like that. Um, other than that, like, a, you know, at the moment I got a, like I said, I just got a good GP that's um, that doesn't judge me and he's, he's, he's heaps cool with that. Um, he likes that, um, you know, I'm making my appointments and I'm, you know, I'm putting in because I'm, you know, I'm trying to get some results, sort of thing from from my health. But other than that, like, um, I'm starting again at um, there's a in town there's um intra. It's it's called intra. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's it's got to do with the buttery. It's like the buttery outreach program or something like that. Um, so I've uh, in the past multiple times I've I've had um caseworkers there and some some help you know getting counselling um again with people that um don't judge me you know uh, yeah for those listening the buttery is a residential rehabilitation program in northern new south wales it's on the site of an old buttery hence the name it's quite renowned for its treatment programs one of them is intra an outreach program that aims to reduce the harm from the use of drugs. And the um and the pharmacy as well was probably that other one you spoke of. Oh, earlier. That, that's the feeling one. you can go into. So yeah, it seems and probably one more we've got to throw in is actually ensuring that you have financial support through that where you're oh, not without a doubt. That must be really. Hard. I imagine because I know Centrelink's just got harder and harder and harder yeah. with compliance. Yeah, if it wasn't for, I'm very lucky that. Um, my parents supported me and they, they're able to do that and they, they help from time to time. And if it, I, like I've told them many times, if it wasn't for some for their help, I would have been, yeah, I would have been real trouble. So I couldn't imagine if I didn't have that support yeah. financially as well. Um, yeah, that'd be very difficult. Do you see them much, your parents? Um, yeah, pretty, like I, pretty often. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we get together every three months or so. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much um, for chatting with us today. No, thank Marco. you very much. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm so glad to see that, you know, that you are, you know, that you've got a lot of those things lined up for yourself at the moment. Um, thank you. Which Absolutely. Is great. And it's great to hear the, the I suppose, the um, all the different sorts of services that need to kind of be on your side in a non-judgmental way. Uh, to kind of make it work and feel like you've got possibility and uh, yeah. trying to achieve what you want to achieve. So thank you so much for, yeah. for sharing. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank, thank you very you, much for having me. No thank worries. you. Thank you. That was Marco's story. In our next episode, we speak with Nikki and hear how living with grief has seen her return to injecting drugs. Needle and Syringe Programs, NSPs, are an evidence-based public health program funded to reduce the individual and community harms associated with injecting drug use. 
Over the last 30 years, NSPs have proven to be very successful in preventing the spread of HIV and viral hepatitis in Australia and globally. To find out more about harm reduction and the strong body of evidence that supports these policies, programs and practices, you can visit the website harmreductionaustralia.org.au. To find out more about childhood trauma and its impacts on individuals and the community, you can visit the Blue Knot Foundation website www.bluenot.org.au.